Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Supports of same-sex marriage were very dedicated. They lost the ballot box 32 straight times before they prevailed. I don't agree with the outcome, but I do admire their persistence. I think pro-lifers should show some persistence in the future. Cults are notoriously controlling and manipulative, and I think the woke movement really operates similarly because they seed such foundational lies, both anthropologically, what a human person is, but also spiritual lies. In our current culture in the United States of America, there seems to be an abundance of preoccupation on the state to the extent we see the other estates of family and church being neglected and in decline and deterioration. Once we surrender a objective truth outside of us in the scripture, an objective truth outside of us, I am baptized. I receive the body and blood of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in, with, and under the bread and the wine. When that goes by the wayside, then what I'm left with is my feelings. Wisconsin turkey producers love issues, etc. We have comments and email from our listeners. A comment on young earth creationism, an email about baptizing transgender people. Another one on the fourth commandment. Does it require us not only to honor our parents and obey our parents, but also to love our parents? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Tuesday afternoon, the 21st of December. We're going through... 21st of November, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to go through listener email and issues, etc. Comment line, and then Josh Pauling's going to join us. He's written a recent column for Touchstone Magazine titled, Burial Plots, Christian Tradition is a Subversive Witness Against Modern Funeral Practices. We'll talk about the Christian Confession and funeral practices. In the meantime, listener email or email address, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the comment line, 618-223-8382. Speaking of the comment line, here is a comment from one of our listeners, on comments from me on creation of the age of the earth. Hello, my name is Brian, and I'm calling from Lake Elsinore, California. I'm calling in response to the previous answering the comments, in which you guys went over kind of the idea of creation and its age, and it's quite clear that you guys are pushing forth kind of a young earth creationism type deal and trying your best to harmonize the scientific reality that's being presented in nature with the creation story itself. Coming from Catholicism and now attending an LCMS church, I find this line of attack, so to speak, mildly disagreeable. It's not that I'm open to it. I just can't help but wonder why one would find a need to try and shoehorn two things together when it doesn't quite seem like the puzzle pieces fit, if that makes sense. In Catholicism, Scripture is seen more as a library in which each different book might be trying to convey different things. Each the Word of God, each true, however, you know, maybe Genesis, for example, might have some poetry in it in relation to our creation. Conveying spiritual truths, yes, inerrant, yes, the Word of God, yes, but maybe not being a scientific textbook. 
Uh, how do you guys respond to this idea, and why is it kind of the general consensus amongst many Lutherans? I think you guys get what I'm trying to say. I feel like it's almost like that museum from that movie, Religious, where the guy shows the Garden of Eden with dinosaurs in it. That seems to be kind of the same theme, so to speak. It's almost like as if God planted dinosaur bones to lead the godly astray. Anyway, I'll be quiet. Thank you so much. I love your show. Bye. Well, first of all, there were dinosaurs in the Garden of Eden. There were. And the evidence is we can dig up their bones. So God did not, but no one claims that God put the fossil record in, in the original created earth in order to make it look old. The fossil record is the result of the death of animals. The only contention between those who say the earth is created in six days and is young, and those who say the earth is on dinosaurs, the earth is immensely old and was, well, may have been created by God, but probably not. The only contention on the dinosaurs is how they died. And the Bible contains a perfectly good explanation on how the dinosaurs died and why we have this tremendous layer of fossils throughout the earth, all of which appear to have died suddenly in in mass and buried quickly. How? Well, just go a little farther in the book of Genesis. There's the flood account, and it tells us exactly how they died and how they got buried quickly in mass. And all appear to have just been minding their own business, and then suddenly they're, they're all dead. So... That's how it happened. It's, there's no mystery here. Uh, no one claims that Genesis is a scientific textbook. That's a red herring. Genesis is an historical account of how God created the earth. It makes no pretension to go into the science of the thing. So I think that's just a red herring. The fact, this is just really mystifying, the fact that the Genesis account, as it reads in plain old language, a clear and plain, simple reading of the Genesis account, does not purport to be a scientific textbook or poetry. This is how it happened. It's, it's the account of how God created the heavens and the earth. But the fact that that sounds so weird to Christians nowadays, like we're suddenly an idea that we came up with and are trying to introduce suddenly, is just mystifying to me. It's, it is the view of virtually every Christian until probably the enlightenment. Yeah. Until the enlightenment, until we said, you know, there's something better than scripture. It's reason. So I don't have to go to the Genesis account to say that God created the world in six days. Don't have to do it. I can go way forward into Exodus, obviously claiming to be an historical account Exodus 20, verse 11, In six days God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, and on the seventh day he rested. That's not Genesis, that's Exodus. And it clearly says that God created the earth and all that is in it, the heavens and the earth, in six days. Otherwise, this whole Sabbath law that God gave, that's the, the reasoning given for the Sabbath law, makes no sense. And the Sabbath law is therefore based on a lie. Just consider that for a moment. If the justification for the Sabbath law in Exodus 20 is that God created the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested, and God didn't create the earth in six days, then that law is based on a lie. Now let's talk about poetry. The appeal to Genesis chapters 1 and 2 as poetry is really just a kind of thinly veiled attempt to dismiss them. 
well, they're poetry. And really the only people who make the claim that Genesis 1 and 2 are poetry are people who know nothing about Hebrew poetry. Even people who dismiss Genesis 1 and 2 say, look, it's not poetry. Is it elevated prose? Is it a prose that is rather formulaic? Yes, it certainly is. But it bears no features whatsoever of Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry engages in parallelism. It engages in a building theme from smaller to bigger. It engages in very tight language, wordplay, all of those things. It's really a sophisticated study, Hebrew poetry. And we have a tremendous number of examples of Hebrew poetry in the Bible, like the Psalms, many of the prophets, and perhaps the book of Proverbs has a strong poetic elements to it too. And stylistically, structurally, bears no resemblance whatsoever to the Genesis account. So to say it's poetry is just an attempt to kind of dismiss it and say it's poetry so it doesn't mean what it so obviously appears to mean. But it isn't poetry. I would just ask this question. If it's poetry, when does Genesis stop being poetry? When does it stop being poetry and start being an account of what actually happened? Or if you say, well, all it is, it's really not literal. It's not historical. It's not intended to be read historically, Genesis 1. I'll ask you again. When does the book of Genesis stop being non-literal, non-historical, and start being literal and historical? I actually was, I've told this story many times, taken to task when I was speaking at an event by a Lutheran pastor when I mentioned six-day creation. And he approached me afterwards and he says, you got, you got to stop talking about a six-day creation. No one believes it anymore. I'm like, well, yeah, nobody believes in the resurrection, but that's not going to stop me from talking about the resurrection. And he said, it's not historical. Genesis, the, the first part of the book of Genesis is not historical. And I said, well, when does it stop being non-historical and start being historical? And he said, somewhere in chapter 12, which if you know your Genesis, is where the account of Abraham starts. And I just said, what in the text not what in your head or what in some book you read, what in the text indicates a shift from non-historical to historical at Genesis chapter 12? Give me the feature, the marker in the text that tells you that we've gone from make-believe to history. And he couldn't answer that question because there is no such feature in the text at Genesis 12. Now, you said it sounded like we were trying to shoehorn two things together that don't belong together. No, we're just simply saying whatever science observes, it must be read through divine revelation, which says God created the earth in six days. And it appears to say that the earth is not immensely old, but rather young by comparison. I like the term young earth creationism because it's kind of funny. If we found a city that was dated back 10,000 years would you call that a young city? No, you'd call it a very old city, wouldn't you? So I believe in an old earth, just not as old as most people believe. It's certainly not young. Doesn't look young to me. And what we were contending for there is that just as when Adam was created with the appearance of age, everything God made in those six days were created with the appearance of age. I asked the question, do the trees in the Garden of Eden have rings? If I chopped one down, would it have rings? In other words, the appearance of age. If I went to the riverbank of the rivers that are described in the book of Genesis, 
what I find rounded pebbles on the shore that appear to have been rolling through water for years and years to be rounded off. Yes, I would. The appearance of age, but not age. Adam appears to be apparently a man when he is formed from the dust of the earth. He does not appear to be a infant or a child. He appears to be man, the appearance of age. So the people who are actually trying to shoehorn two things together that don't belong together are the people who are trying to somehow rectify science with Genesis. Science always wins, by the way. The claims of the old earth always win. And say, no, it doesn't mean what it means. Days don't mean days. That's, talk about shoehorning. That's some pretty violent shoehorning. And I'll just, I just want you to notice that every time those two are trying to shoehorn those, the claims of an old earth with the Genesis account are tried to shoehorn together, guess which side always wins? The side that says Genesis isn't true. Genesis always loses every single time. And if you want to engage in arguments where God's word loses every time, be my guest, but it's not a good way to handle Scripture. Doesn't Jesus quote Genesis? Yes. Yeah, he quotes it. Does he quote? He, he quotes, the, quotes the Genesis. Historical. He quotes Does Genesis he chapter. The poetry part of Genesis. He quotes Genesis he, chapter two. Oh, Male and female, he created the them. Book. So Jesus knew his Bible. Look, Jesus was a truth teller. He never lied. If he wanted us to rightly understand Genesis as kind of a mythical account or poetry that shouldn't be taken literally, don't you think he would have straightened us out on this? Don't you think he would have said, oh, by the way, when I'm quoting this Genesis, male and female, he created them. I'm quoting from this, this great epic poem that begins the Old Testament that should not be taken literally because we all know that the earth is billions of years old. But he never said it. When we come back, some more listener email and the issues, etc. comment line. Getting to the point that is the hardest part And if you come, I will answer If you follow, I'll pick you up How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest issues, etc. journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, a pastoral response to conspiracy theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online issues, etc. journal, issuesetc.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. 
To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Church music directors can find a new community at Prelude to Postlude, the CPH Music blog. Learn helpful tips for managing music ministry and involving members, and meet the composers of some of your favorite new pieces. Plus, find suggestions of music to use for special services, and preview some of our newest works with free samples you can use at your church. Visit us at preludetopostlude.org. Back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Folks, be sure to visit Ad Crucem when you do your Christmas shopping this year. You'll find Christian jewelry, art books, greeting cards, and more at adcrucem.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Brian writes, I am writing in response to the recent news story about Roman Catholics baptizing people who are transgendered. I'm a lifelong LCMS, Lutheran Church, Missouri, Synod member. It appears to me the LCMS has not taken a position on baptizing people who are transgendered. Is that correct? Is there any reason why a transgendered person should not be baptized? Thanks for the email. Thanks for listening. Brian. I think we actually discussed this during our last session of comment line and email that had been announced from Religion News Service, a reputable news outlet that the Congregation for the Faith that is the Vatican's doctrinal branch, the head of that had issued a written statement that the Roman Catholic Church permits the baptism of transgendered individuals and stunned that it wasn't getting more press coverage and stunned that it was the media was being so quiet about it for some reason. I don't know. Maybe they just don't care. Or maybe they think, big whoop, didn't they always do that? The Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod takes very, relatively speaking, very few official positions on many things, but I can assure you that were they to take one on the baptism of transgendered individuals, it would be to strongly warn against this practice for several reasons. One, I can only think of one circumstance in which this would be permissible to do, and that is if someone has been living as a transgendered individual, they've undergone transition, and then suddenly they realize that not only the error of their ways, but also the danger of their ways. And we're reading more and more about people who are detransitioning. And they say, I repent of this, and I wish to be baptized. That would be, I guess, in a technical sense, someone who has been transgendered being baptized. But that would be the only circumstance I can think of. Otherwise, we're dealing with someone who is both in their mental and their spiritual state, estranged from God, because I am convinced, and I, this is, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I think we're dealing with mental illness, tragic mental illness. And it has all the hallmarks of mental illness, and in previous generation, it would have been recognized as mental illness, and it would still be in the big book that psychiatrists carry around telling them what mental illnesses are and aren't. It would be obviously recognized as mental illness. It has all the hallmarks. It has the suicidal ideation. It has kind of a disassociation from the body. We still regard other dysmorphic mental illnesses like anorexia as mental illnesses, and we treat them that way. We say someone believes they're fat when they're thin, and they're starving themselves. We say they're harming themselves. What do you do? Do you say, no, 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 you are fat. You really are. Stop eating. 
which is precisely what we're doing with people who have gender dysphoria. We're affirming the dysphoria rather than helping them see reality. And they are subsequently harming themselves. So they're victims of mental illness. And along with that would come these sinful desires to disassociate from one's own body or, for, or to damage one, one's own body. I call it slow motion suicide is what it is. So those people need spiritual counseling, the counsel of God's word, and very gently the call to repentance before such people could be candidates for baptism. So you've got a prisoner in adult instruction class. Used to be Jimmy, now Julie, Judy. They want to be baptized. Does part of their your decision to baptize them like you're not Judy? Absolutely. Okay. I have to speak the truth, and I have to say you are a man. So you're not going to baptize them as Judy? No, no. But you, I, I would say you are a man, and let's let's get you all the help you need so that you can see reality more clearly. I mean, I've been calling the entire LGBTQ movement a war on reality because that, that's what it really is. I get to create my own reality. I, we had a guest on recently. I can't remember who it was. When, and they talked about the gender debate, and they brilliantly pointed out the gender debate is not about sex or gender. It's about do you get to decide your own reality? Do you get to make up your own reality? and require everyone else to live in it. Do you know of any other movement that says, I'm going to make up my own reality, and then I'm going to make everyone else act like it's true? I know of no other movement. You know, they talk about Christians forcing the morality on others. You know who's forcing the morality and the reality on everyone else? It's the LGBTQ movement. So, a war on reality. That interview was with uh, Dr. Anthony Esselin, by the way, in his book, Sex in the Unreal City, The Demolition of the Western Mind. You can find that on the Google search engine and on the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. And there was a, a more recent one, just like in the last week, where someone pointed that out, too, that it's a, it's a, it is a debate over the nature of reality. Smart people just take Esselin stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we they do. steal it. Yeah. <laughs> ben writes, PragerU is an online resource growing more and more popular with conservative Americans. Through it, the ideas of American conservatism, the ideals of the West, and biblical teachings are becoming more talked about. Among them are also videos on the Ten Commandments, as described by PragerU's Jewish founder, Dennis Prager. In his video on what he calls the Fifth Commandment, Honor Your Father and Mother, and in other public discourses, Prager strictly emphasized that God does not command people to love their parents, but to honor them. He virtually excludes love from the commandment. From the first time I heard this, I realized this is different to how Lutherans view what we call the fourth commandment. We certainly agree that parents deserve special honor, but if we put all ten commandments in a framework of love, first for God and then for the neighbor, and that the fourth commandment would include love for the first neighbors we have in life, our fathers and mothers, Luther teaches us, therefore, that keeping this commandment involves honoring, serving, obeying, loving, and cherishing our parents. At the end of the day, I suspect that Prager is onto something if by love he means feelings of affection instead of actions. But even this might come into conflict with Luther's teaching that we shouldn't despise our parents. I guess my question is, how should Luther's respond to a take like Prager's? Do we say too much about the commandment? Thanks for the consideration and keep up the good work and happy Thanksgiving and happy Thanksgiving to you as well, Ben. First of all, I was not aware that Dennis Prager was Jewish. Is he a practicing Jew? Yes, Orthodox Jew. Like, really? Like Ben Shapiro. 
I didn't know that. I wasn't yes. aware of that. So let me commend a lot of what PragerU produces. They produce some really brilliant stuff. Their cultural, social, moral stuff is really, for the most part, spot on. They found some very talented people to communicate just good conservative values in a general sense. I'm not going to say biblical values. So I think it's a kind of odd that you would exclude love for parents from the commandment to honor parents as though the two could somehow be separated. There's the general commandment to love your neighbor, as you have pointed out. Jesus says the two great commandments. And I don't know what Dennis Prager thinks about Jesus, but the Jews, even at the time, agreed with Jesus, two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think I think Dennis Prager would agree with that. So that command to love runs through all of the commandments. So there is at least implicit in that commandment, the command to love your parents. So to kind of separate it out, it says all you owe them is honor and obedience. No, you also owe your parents love. At the same time, I don't know of an explicit commandment that parents ought to love their children. It's so obvious that God doesn't even need to make a commandment regarding that. So I hope no one would argue, well, since God doesn't explicitly command parents to love their children, they don't have to love their, they just have to feed them and take care of them, but they don't have to love them. So the best definition of love is that you put the other person before yourself, that the other person is more important than you. And I just can't imagine that you could have a situation where someone honors their parents without loving them. As we approach the end of another calendar year, is a great question from Ernie. Just a general question. If I send a gift to Lutheran Public Radio, does it help support the word of the Lord endures forever, issues, etc., and your sacred music station, Lutheran Public Radio? Yes, it does. We just have a general fund. We do keep track of gifts that go to the various things. We keep track of that, but it's a general fund and everyone gets paid from the same pot of money, but we do keep track of that. So a gift to one is a gift to all. It's like communism. (laughs) Yeah. On the subject of donations, as we approach the end of another calendar year, for a year-end gift of $250 or more to issues, etc., we'll send you a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir and our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled, Three Answering Arguments Against Christianity. It's going to be another great book. Here's uh, just a few of the chapters. Christianity is a White Male Religion by Dr. Kirk Clayton. The Trinity is a Late Theological Construct by Craig Parton. Homosexuality is Just Another Form of Committed Love by Heath Curtis. Evolution Has Disproved the Creation Account by Jan Lohmeyer and others. Again, your end gift of $250 or more will send you Objections Overruled 3 and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org on the support donate page or by check, make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois 62234. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support at the end of 2023. When we come back, we are going to be talking with Josh Pauling. He's author of a column for Touchstone Magazine called Burial Plots Christian Tradition. 
is a subversive witness against modern funeral practices. He will contrast modern funeral practices and the business with what Christians have normally done with the bodies of those who have died. Stay tuned. I I'm coming home Well, my baby, she me This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our study of the book of beginnings, Genesis, with a pleasing aroma, God blesses Noah, sign of the covenant, Noah and the wine, and descendants of Japheth. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Memorial Press's award-winning curriculum is used by homeschoolers all over the world. Their classical Christian education materials provide everything you need for kindergarten through 12th grade, including books, guides, lesson plans, and instructional videos. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Hope Lutheran Church in West Jordan, Utah is a congregation that embraces the doctrinal and liturgical heritage of the Reformation. If you're coming to Utah to ski in the best snow on earth, or if you're coming here to see the wonders of God's creation in our national parks, or if you call the Salt Lake Valley your home, we would love to have you join us for Bible class and Sunday school at 9.30 and the Divine Service at 10.30. We also offer a midweek service Wednesday nights at 7. You can find us online at westjordanlutherans.org. The Christian religion is not like a buffet line, a modern smorgasbord of beliefs offering a wide range of tempting choices. Rather, it is the good deposit handed down to us in the scriptures through the history of the church that we might believe and confess who Jesus Christ is. To learn more about pick and choose religion, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. To subscribe, visit cph.org witness or learn more at our website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Casting Christ's net on the internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is it hard? Yes. Will it challenge you? Absolutely. Is it a blessing from God for you and those you will serve without question? Dr. Lawrence Rast, president of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. The pastoral ministry is all of these things, and that's why Concordia Theological Seminary exists to form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Men from all over the world with a variety of unique backgrounds come to our campus to receive faithful training that will equip them for the challenging but blessed work of serving as pastors in Christ's church. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Christ-Centered Worship, Confessional Theology, Lutheran Community, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.